Hello there, my poker playing friends. Let's take some time to level up. My name is Mike Brady, and I'm joined by the man who still holds down the number one spot on my MySpace top eight, Poker Pro Gary Blackwood. What's up, guys and girls? We're going to be discussing playing from the small blind today. We've done a lot of work from the big blind, but today we're going to be talking about playing from the small blind. Yeah, in this final episode of season two, we're going to help you play better from the small blind before the flop specifically. This is a unique position because you have half a blind already invested, which improves your pot odds, but you're also out of position against every other player at the table. What's more, you've still got the big blind to worry about behind you. We're going to start by talking about how to play from the small blind against a raise, then we're going to move on to playing against a limp or two. We'll wrap it up by talking about playing from the small blind when the action has folded to you. The focus will be on 100 BB deep stack cash gameplay with no ante, but we'll talk about tournament-specific strategies as we go as well, because it's quite different in tournaments. So, Gary, there's an ultra-common strategy that many players use from the small blind when facing a raise, and that strategy is to play 3-bet or fold. In other words, you never call. If you're going to play a hand from the small blind against a raise, you do so by 3-betting. Can you explain why this is such a common strategy among studied players? Yeah, so there's several reasons why we shouldn't play flats from the small blind, each as important as the next. Firstly, when we flat the small blind, we kind of cap our range, a uh, very defined range. If you think about, you know, if you're a player who currently has a flatting range in the small blind, you think about the types of hands that you flat, and they're really quite condensed into hands like sixes, sevens, eights, nines, you know, ace-jack offsuit, uh, ace-three suited, all those types of hands. So you really quite cap yourself into a very condensed, easy-to-play-against range. And you want to keep your ranges, you know, uncapped and strong as possible, which is one of the, the main reasons that we don't want to play a flatting range in the small blind. Which leads me into my second point, when we're as capped as we are, the big blind can make our lives an absolute misery by squeezing relentlessly. All those hands I've mentioned, you know, the A-shack offsuit, the pocket sevens, the ace-three suited, the six-five suited, if you call a raise and then the big blind squeezes, these hands play horribly calling twice pre-flop. What I mean by calling twice is if you call the raise and then you call the squeeze, and you know your your range plays really poorly uh, and it becomes very difficult to play. So you allow the big blind to basically bully you and, and put in squeezes with lots of, of hands that are going to make your life a misery. And lastly, it's such a boring answer, but it's really, really important. The rake is really high. It dictates what we can and can't do in terms of pre-flop flatting. And beating the rake with a wide flatting strategy is really difficult. So we should almost always play a 3-bet or fold strategy. Almost always play a 3-bet or fold strategy. Yeah, and we'll get into some exceptions in a minute. But before we do that, what 3-bet size do you like from the small blind with 100 big blind stacks? So our range isn't polarized when we three bet from the small blind. It's what we call kind of a merged range, which means that we don't need a huge three bet size. I generally stick to a rule of using a four x three bet size from the small blind. So if somebody opens to two big blinds, I'll make it eight big blinds. If somebody opens to two point five, I'll make it ten, and so on. There are two times where I don't really follow that golden rule of using a four x three bet size from the small blind, and that is one: if somebody opens huge, if they open the three point five big blinds, you don't want to three bet to fourteen big blinds because that's massive. You can go something like twelve point five and, and still achieve the same job. And secondly, um, if you know you're playing against a fun player that's got like a sixty big blind stack and they open to three bigs, you don't need to go twelve again. There, you want to allow for a slightly lower stacked pot ratio so that variance doesn't just take over on the flop. If you have a really low SPR going to the flop, then there's less skill involved. It's more a case of just getting the money in and ride the variance train. So you kind of want to just take a little bit off of it in that scenario as well. 
One last thing I want to add, and I think this is really important. I'm pretty confident a lot of people listening will be using a smaller than 4X 3-bet size from the small blinds. And it's really important that we're not going any lower than, than 4X the open. And the reason for that is that we give our opponents an amazing price. And they're already in position, which makes life very easy for them. If we're giving them an amazing price as well, life becomes very easy for them. So let's make sure we're, we're not going too small with that 3-bet size. We're going at least 4X from the small blinds. Yeah, for sure. And that point you made against the uh, the shorter stacks, you know, you want to actually three bet a little bit smaller to kind of keep larger stacks in play, right? Because if you do, they raise to three big blinds off of a 60 big blind stack, you make it 12, they call, there's 24 in the middle, and they have 48 behind. The stack to pot ratio is two. I mean, the money's going to go in very often, very light. And like you said, variance is really going to take over. We prefer to have a high stack to pot ratio in general, when we're up against bad players, especially, so you can size down a little bit against the shorter stacks. And that's also one quick note for tournaments. You know, in tournaments, you're going to be dealing with all kinds of different stack sizes. If your opponent opens to two big blinds off of a 35 big blind stack, you're certainly not 4xing it. That would be crazy. You know, you, you can go more like 3x and that's fine. But don't go 3x when you're deep, because just think about the situation your opponent ends up in. They raise to three big blinds in your 2-5 game or whatever. You make it 45 in the small blind. Gets back to them. They only have to call 30 in position with a ton of money behind. They're getting like an insane price. I mean, I, I think they need like 27% raw equity. I'm, I'm kind of pulling that number. I didn't do the math, but roughly 27% equity. And almost every hand will have that. And they pretty much get to continue their whole range. And if your opponent has no folding range, it's probably because you made a sizing error. So yeah, you definitely don't want to be the guy who is putting in those small three bets. Because I know personally, when I see those th small three bets, I love that. Because it means I'm going to get to call and see a lot of flops. I'm going to get to four bet them more often. And it's just really good for me when my opponent is using a small size. So don't make that mistake. So moving on real quick, do you ever have a calling range from the small blind? And if so, what are the conditions that would make you want to do so? So it's really important as poker players that our ranges are never static. They're kind of a blueprint for how we want to play the game. But the players that stick relentlessly to their ranges are costing themselves EV. If we were all solvers playing against solvers, then yes, absolutely. But there are a lot of times where you want to deviate. For example, if you've got a super knit that's four betting you, you're supposed to shove ace five suited, five bet jam it uh, in theory from time to time. You'd never do that because the super knit is, you know, four betting value only. So we don't always stick to our ranges. We use them as a really solid guideline for how we want to play. But there are times where we want to deviate and flatting in the small blind is generally something we, we won't do, but there are some times where we do want to flat in the small blind. And I'm sure you guys can work out exactly when that is when you've got a really, really weak player that is opened, or you've got a really, really weak player that's in the big blind. Let me rephrase, not quite weak player, but you know, a very splashy, active, fun player who you know that if he's got king jack and you've got pocket fours and it comes down king eight four, you're going to win a big pot. Those are the types of fun players that we want to deviate when they're either opening or they're in the big blind. So those are the only times that I'd really have a flat range when you're trying to target a very specific type of fun player. And as mentioned earlier, you know, it's a very specific range that, that wants to flat, um, you know, hands like pocket sixes and ace three suited and all those types of hands that can flop really well and do tons of damage. And like, you know, six, five suited, not so much because the, the very active fun player is going to be in there with their jack do suited and you're going to be dominated from time to time. But those hands that can do really well, really devastate your opponents, that can flop sets, flop nut flush draws, flop flushes, etc. 
those are the types of hands that we want to flat. Not very often, and I want to reiterate that point, if you've got a, your standard ABC fun player in the big blind, you shouldn't be flatting uh, with those pocket fours, pocket threes type hands. But when you've got really active fun players who you can win big pots versus with a select type of hands, go ahead and have a small flat range. Yeah, and I'm kind of curious to ask you about one other player type. If I was in the small blind and, you know, say I was facing like an under the gun raise from like a medium-ish tight player and I had like pocket nines, it's a spot that it's not like, you know, a fist pump three bet talking like a nine-handed game. So they have a pretty tight range under the gun. It's not a hand that I'm like fist pump three betting, but, you know, under normal conditions, I'm three betting it because I play three better fold range from the small blind. That said, if the big blind was a very, I would say like passive tight weak player i would consider just flatting the nines and the way i kind of think about that is it's like i'm becoming the big blind because of how tight the guy who's actually in the big blind is going to play and how infrequently he's going to squeeze i'm talking guys and we've all played with them people who may not even squeeze queens you know may not even squeeze ace king like they're just playing almost no hands very tight very passive to the point where i know i'm gonna get to see a flop of my nines i know i'm not gonna get squeezed and then i get to play a single raised pot which might be a little bit more comfortable for my nines against that under the gun raise what do you think about conditions like that so i think that's fine i think you're right there's gonna be a lot of players in the big blind who are not gonna squeeze as much as they should and you do get to see a flop but remember that that player that is in the big blind who's not gonna squeeze that much is still gonna believe himself to be priced in with hands that you know can now flat so under the gun opens and you fold, he's going to fall down like, you know, eight, seven offsuit. But now he's, you know, going to be priced in there and he's going to make the call. So you're going multi-way to a flop a lot more often and your equity comes down and then you factor in the high rate. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword. Yes, you are much more likely to see a flop, but you've got to remember the rake is high. You're going to see that flop multi-way. You know, you've got less equity, etc. So I personally, versus that type of player, will still continue to play a three-better fold strategy. I mean, I'm not saying I'm 100% right in this scenario. It's kind of an opinionated uh, part of poker. I can certainly see the logic behind that, and I think it's completely fine. But you just have to remember, you're going to see a flop multi-way. Your equity is going to come down, and then you factor in the high rake at lower stakes games. It kind of evens itself out. Now. Yeah, that makes sense. And then I, I guess I can ascertain from that, if you're playing in a game with no table rake, like it's a timed seat fee or something like at the lodge, then mm-hmm. you can probably play that flat range even more often because now you're not paying Fun. that rake. So there's just really a lot of pieces, a lot of puzzle pieces. We could go over, you know, dozens or hundreds of permutations here, talk about should we have a flatting range here, should we have a flatting range there. But I think y'all are kind of getting the idea where, you know, just think about the unique factors of the situation, think about the rake, think about the player in the big blind, think about the player who opened, maybe if someone called in between, think about that player too, and then you can, you know, make a good decision. Should I have a three better fold range or should I include a flatting range? And then, you know, think about what types of hands like to flat which is typically the ones that can win a big pot for the most part. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, if we can see the, the the strategy that we play in a raked game versus an unraked game, for example, you know, playing live poker 5-10 at the Bellagio where, you know, you pay time or at the wonderful Lodge Car Club, you're, you have a really wide flatting range, um, which sort of proves the point in a way in terms of the, how much the rake affects the situation. Because if you're playing in a raked game, you have no flatting range. But if you're playing in an unraked game, your flatting range is unbelievably wide in a bunch of different scenarios. So yeah, absolutely. As Mike says, you know, and as I sort of referenced earlier, your ranges are not static. Think about the situation you're in. Obviously, um, there are going to be a bunch of different factors which will advocate for you being able to have a flatting range. But for the most part, you know, if your head's up versus an open... You don't want to have a flatbridge. Yeah, and let's go ahead and uh, this is kind of a note to our editor that you are all hearing. Uh, let's go <laughs> ahead and drop uh, two ranges from the Smash Live Cash course that Nick Petrangelo made. 
we're going to show one that is no rake, one that is rake for the exact same spot. It'll be like small blind versus cutoff or something like that. It'll be labeled, so so I don't know what, exactly what the range is going to be yet, but it will be labeled. You're looking at it right now, so you can kind of see the differences. And then, uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting how much the rake really does you know, make a difference. You don't want that chunk taken out of the pot, that's for sure. All right, so speaking of, you kind of just briefly alluded to tournament differences. And, you know, the no rake we already saw makes you want to play more hands, have a flatting range in the small blind. But tournaments don't only have no rake, they also have an ante. So there's a whole extra big blind in there. And if you've ever watched tournament streams of, like, really good players playing, you will notice they absolutely have a flatting range in the small blind, even with an absolute savage in the big blind, because the pot odds are just so good. Let's think about a wide range spot button opens to 2.5 big blinds, and you're in the small blind. You have a half a blind invested. You have to call two blinds. There's the two and a half big blind open, and then the two and a half blinds that are already in the pot. So you have to call two blinds to win five. Very, very good price overall. And that allows you to play a good amount of hands, including four calls, even with that threat of squeeze from a player behind. And then if you're playing in like low stakes tournaments where you don't have Michael Adamo or Nick Petrangelo in the big blind. You have you have Billy from Poughkeepsie. Shout out to uh, Will Jaffe. Then, you know, you're not going to face a squeeze almost ever. So you get to flat even more hands. It's almost like you get to play a little bit more like you're in the big blind, though, though not certainly not that loose, but but a little bit more. And, you know, I remember a specific hand. I think it was Fedor Holes in like a 100k WSOP event. It went like cut off open and he flatted the small blind with 5-3 suited. And I was like, that is absolutely wild um but you know like he know he knows more than me about tournaments for sure so i imagine it it might be a little loose but it's at least you know within the realm of possibility if he's doing it so yeah it just goes to show like in tournaments specifically it's a little different you're you're gonna have a a, a little bit more of a complex range you're gonna have a pretty merged three betting range still you're three betting the good hands you're not really mixing in super strong hands into your flatting range there's no reason to trap like that but your pot odds are just so good that you get to get in there with, you know, 8-7 suited or ace-7 suited, that, although that might 3-bet, or, you know, all these different hands that, that just get to just flick in those two blinds and, you know, see a flop. Yeah, absolutely. I remember last summer, my shout out to my buddy Welsh Gaz, he, uh, halfway through a full WSOP schedule, and I, I had done very little tournament studying, and he showed me a small blind flying range, and I literally fell out of my chair, and I was like, king-7 suited, and... All those under market said, you know, you get to flat unbelievably wide, which, you know, coming back to speaking about cash games further proves the point of why we don't want to have a flatting range in the small blinds. Um, obviously, there is no ante and the rake is playing a massive part when we're playing tournaments. There's no rake. Uh, you know, somebody obviously, you know, 2.2x under the gun, as Mike's given the great example of the button. But when somebody's making a really small open of 2.2x, you're implied under insane. So you get to flat unbelievably wide. So if we're not having a flatting range, or if our flatting range is really tight, we are costing ourselves a ton of EV. And there's no real excuse for that. There's a bunch of different tools at our disposal in this day and age where we can brush up and you know play really well preflop. Yeah, and before we move on to playing against limpers, I want to make one more note about tournaments because there's this one specific small blind flatting spot that I've found particularly kind of juicy like where whenever it comes up i'm like oh baby let's do this let's see a flop (laughs) and it's when i'm sitting on like a 15 to like 25 blind stack the kind of stack where top pair is just the pure nuts or at least you play it that way and it goes like open call and then i'm in the small blind with like king jack offsuit that spot 
if it's not a jam, because, you know, if it goes cut off open button call, it might be just a shove because you have mm-hmm. so much fold equity. But if it goes like early position raise or middle position raise, button call, and you have king jack off in the small, queen jack off, hands like that, it's a slam dunk call because if you just flop top pair, you get to check, there's probably going to be a C bet and you're going to get to raise and you're going to pick up a bunch of dead money or you're going to double up versus a lot of worse top pairs. You're going to double up against like some pocket pairs that go with it. So that's like one of those super juicy spots where it's like, even off like 15 blinds, just flicking in that blind and a half versus the min raise and then hoping to hit <laughs> like a jack with King Jack and just yeah. having the nuts. It, I love that spot. I think I find it super exciting and I've, <laughs> I've doubled up countless times that way. I've busted a handful of times too, but I've, I've doubled up countless times that way. That's amazing. The Mike Brady move, we'll call it. Flat the small blind, flop top pair, double up. The Mike Brady move. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't take credit for the flatting part. I think the solvers taught me that, but I could take credit for the doubling up. That was all me. All right, let's move on to playing from the small blind when players have limped in. Suppose one player has limped from middle position. Gary, how do you approach building your range in this spot? Which hands do you flick in that extra half a blind, and which hands do you prefer to raise? Very wide indeed. I'm probably a little too wide in this spot, but the limper will basically always be a fun player, unless, of course, playing a tournament. It's a sort of new trend in tournaments, limping in in late position. But when you're playing cash games and somebody limps, they're generally almost always going to be a fun player. And I sort of build my poker career around playing with fun players. Playing pots with fun players is not to be predatory, but it's where we make our money in this game. So for the sake of half a big blind, I am all about flicking that in and getting to play with the fun player. Literally anything suited, uh, you know, seven deuce, eight deuce. If it's suited, it's going in there. Semi-connected, hands like eight, six offsuit, seven, four offsuit is just about connected enough. Anything that can, you know, flop a straight draw. Anything with a 10 or above, you know, any jack X, queen X, king X. Obviously, ragged ace three offsuit, that's in there as well. The only hand that I won't call are hands like eight three offsuit, seven deuce offsuit, nine four offsuit type hands that are just too disconnected. That's getting a little too wide. Remember, as I said, playing pots with fun players is where we make most of our money in this game. So flicking in half a big blind with a pretty trashy hand, as long as it's somewhat connected, is okay by me. In terms of the hands that you want to isolate, kind of a rough rule that you can use is that anything that is in your hijack opening range can be used to isolate the limper. All your suited ace x, pocket sixes and above, your unsuited broadways, those types of hands that you'd open in the hijack. One, I wouldn't call it a leap, but one slight error that people make is that, you know, instead of just completing with a hand like 5-4 suited, people will isolate. Let's not raise to four big blinds out of position with five high versus a guy that's never going to fold. That's just not going to be brilliant. On the face of it, 5-4 oh, suited, I'm going to isolate this guy, I've got a pretty hand. But if you think about it, you know, you're isolating, a guy's going to never fold, he's going to limp call, you're out of position with 5 high. doesn't serve that well for the sake of, you know, just calling the half a big blind and seeing a flop, I think that's a better play. But absolutely, you want to be raising relatively wide, just don't overdo it with hands like, you know, 7-5 suited and 6-5 suited and ace-4 off suited, Sarah. Let's be similarly to what our hijack opening range looks like. Yeah, and that, that point you made about 5-4 suited, I really like that point, and it's actually something that I think comes up uh, quite a bit when you're talking about exploitative preflop adjustments, because those suited connectors, when they're played as raises, a lot of their value comes from the possibility of just winning the pot preflop, or the possibility of just the big blind calling and you get to play a flop in position, but in that specific situation you just said, that is not going to happen, most likely. You're going to raise and you're going to get called. So you're just building the pot with a hand that is certainly behind. Yeah, you might win at post-flop, but you're out of position, so it's not going to be super easy to do. In general, if you're in a situation where you don't think 
your raises have a lot of fold equity, a lot of those low suited connectors and stuff, they end up just going from raises to folds or, you know, raises to calls or whatever the situation is. I know, like, for example, if you're in a kind of moving off the small blind play for a sec, if you're in like a super splashy live game and you're in like middle position and you have a suited connector that you'd raise like some of the time, but you know you're never going to steal the blinds, <laughs> like it's going to go, you're going to raise and it's going to go call, 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 and you're just playing four ways with six, five suited now. You can go from raising that hand sometimes to just always folding it, or dare I say, even just limp in for the blind if you're playing in a game with no or very low rake because you just get to flick in that blind and then let the let the crazy splashy players do something behind you and maybe you get into a good spot. But you don't want to be raising with hands that their kind of goal is to steal the pot preflop when you're never going to steal the pot preflop. It's kind of just logical but it's easy to kind of overlook that and just see the pretty hand, like you said, and, and want to pump it up and, and play a pot. So how do things change against multiple limpers? We were just talking about one limper. Does, does anything change when it goes like limp, limp, or limp, 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 and you're in the small blind? For me, nothing really changes. The range that calls is kind of still the same. It's a bit of a double-edged sword. On the one hand, your immediate odds improve versus multiple limpers, but obviously on the other hand, your reverse implied odds can hurt you as well. So if you call with 6-4 offsuit and the flop comes down, you know, 6-4 deuce, because there are one, two, three extra players in the pot, it's slightly more likely that you get coolered. So it kind of works both ways. The odds that you're getting right now are great, but on the flip side, you know, you flop a really strong hand versus one limper, you're probably going to be okay. But versus three limpers, you go five ways to the flop, that top two pair might be a little more vulnerable. So as I mentioned, it's kind of a double-edged sword. I'm still extremely wide in this spot, but I guess if we were to really think about this spot and make some adjustments, you know, versus one limper, I have like king deuce offsuit, it's probably okay to flick it in the small blind. But versus multiple limpers, you know, when you flop top pair, it's going to be much less appealable. So those sort of offsuit, queen deuce offsuit, and king four offsuit, those types of hands should probably become folds versus multiple limpers. I'm still in there with anything suited. Any ace X, um, I think any king X is just about okay, but you know, your queen four offsuit type hands probably become folds. But yeah, still want to complete really wide in that spot. You know, as I mentioned, you want to play against fun players, but let's maybe tweak the range a little bit so we're less dominated multi way. And we've got to be really aware post flop. You know, if there's one limper, as mentioned, we flop a relatively strong hand, that's a good thing. But when there's three limpers, we've got to be much more cautious. More likely somebody's flopped a set or some crusty straight or something like that. So it needs to be a little more reserved post flop. Yeah, that makes sense. And that just goes to classic multi-way advice. You can listen to our Splashy Live Games episode to hear a little bit about that. And we'll probably do a multi-way episode eventually, though that one is, uh, it's such a tough topic. We're going to have to, we're going to have to really prep for that one. So, so bear with us. Uh, it might take a little while. I'll let Ryan Risk come in for that one. <laughs> yeah, good idea. Good idea. <laughs> All right, let's wrap up this episode with a brief discussion on playing from the small blind when the action has folded to you. Strategies can get pretty complex when you're out of position against the one remaining player. What's the theoretically correct way to approach this spot? So there's so many good players that I play against that have different open sizes, uh, 2.5x, 3x, even some really good regs uh, of the 3.5x, played very briefly with uh, Stefan, and I think he used a 4x open size as well. Some players I play against play a limping strategy, and my advice in this spot is to keep it simple. Standard 3x open size with around about 45% of your range. Again, lots of great tools out there. The Upswing Lab, for example, the ranges uh, give you a very clear indication of what you should be raising. In the small blinds, in terms of limping, that's not something I'm ever going to recommend. It's a very complicated strategy that needs to be mastered and implemented correctly in order to be profitable. If you're not playing it quite correctly, it goes from being slightly plus EV to, to minus EV. 
and then you factor in the high rake as well. I would really not recommend playing a limping strategy. The general unwritten rule is that you can only really implement a limping strategy when the rake structure is for 500 NL or above. But even then, there's a lot of really good players that I play against. They just never limp the small blind. The rake is just too high. It's a ton of work for minimal increase in EV. If you think about it, you know, the EV in a, a single race pot is you know relatively low in terms of your strategies. In a limp pot, it's even lower. And then you factor in the rake. It's just not worth the hassle of, of you know mastering something that needs to be mastered in order to be profitable. So I would really wouldn't recommend a, a limp strategy if it's folded around to you. One last adjustment that we want to make at lower stakes is to include a stat in our HUDs. It's called something, I can't remember the exact name of it, but big blind folds uh, to small blind. Still, if that number is really high, uh, we can you know really widen our small blind opening range. There are a lot of players out there, a lot of weaker regs at lower stakes. They're not defending the big blind wide enough. And we, you know, we get to sort of widen our opening range and, and steal the big blinds. You know, if you think about it, if we steal one extra big blind every hundred hands, our big our win rate increases by you know one big blind per hundred. And also note, you know, we're talking about general exploitative uh, plays from the small blinds. You know, people will not three bet correctly from the big blind. Once again, the upswing lab ranges give you a really nice insight. Big blind versus small blind, you're supposed to three bet. Ace three offsuit, 10 do suited, jack four suited. You know, all those sort of polarized hands that the weaker regs won't be three betting at lower stakes, which means that when you open and they call, the range is wider. We did a wonderful podcast on playing out of position. We spoke about, you know, when MP opens and the button flats, the button range is really tight. MP range is really wide. So MP has to play, you know, quite tight as a result. But if you think about it, if you widen that button range to, you know, double what it is, then MP gets to see that a little wider. This is no different when the big blinds range becomes wider because they're not three betting enough. It means they're going to miss the flop more often. And you want to just see that a little wider than the solver suggests because that range is, is slightly more diluted and will have more air in it. Yeah, and then not only that, you're realizing more equity because they're not three betting preflop enough, and thus they're not forcing you to fold with hands that you would fold. So you when you open, you know, king seven off and they don't three bet king six off, you know, you would have just lost the pot preflop if they three bet that hand as as they're supposed to some of the time. Yeah. But instead you get to see a flop, realize your equity, and you know. That's money for you. The one big takeaway there, if I had to pull pull it out, is to generally just play a raise strategy from the small blind. Technically, even with rake, limping is the theoretically correct strategy. That's what the computer would do against the computer. However, we are not computers, not even close. Gary used the right word, mastering a limping strategy in the small blind, a limp slash raise strategy. It is incredibly complex. So not only do you have to memorize these outrageously complex preflop ranges where it's like basically every hand limps sometimes and raises sometimes. So you're not just memorizing, oh, 6-5 suited raises and 8-7 suited calls. It's not even that simple. It's, oh, 6-5 suited raises 60% of the time and uh, king two off raises 40% of the time. And it's just all these frequencies you have to memorize. So that's step one. Then you have to start to learn, how do I play this limping strategy post-flop? How do I play the raising strategy post-flop on every possible board texture? So that's an outrageous amount of studying. We're literally talking hundreds of hours, probably, of studying to properly implement a limping strategy from the small blind. And it adds, if you execute it perfectly, it adds a little bit of EV compared to just playing a razor fold strategy. So just play a razor fold strategy. You're going to save yourself time. <laughs> you could study more consequential things in that hundreds of hours. It's just, I mean, think about how many episodes of Upswing Poker Level Up you could listen to 
instead of studying small blind limiting <laughs> strategies. Just don't waste your time doing that unless you're playing like super high stakes or something. And of course, if you have some exploitative reason to, to do some limping, go for it. If you know what your opponents are doing, you can always take advantage of it. But, you know, generally speaking, razor fold from the small blind, you are going to save yourself a lot of headache and a lot of study. 100%. All right, that's all we've prepared for you today. If you've enjoyed the show, hit that like button on YouTube or rate the show on the podcast app of your choice. And if you have any questions, drop them below the YouTube video as a comment or tweet them out with the hashtag UPLevelUp. For those of you who want to keep getting better at poker on your own time, go join the Upswing Lab on UpswingPoker.com. It's an incredibly extensive course that includes everything you need to boost your win rate. There are over 100 modules covering crucial strategy topics, preflop charts for almost every situation under the sun, they're especially extensive for cash game players, and an amazing community of members who are always down to talk poker. As a listener of this podcast, you can get $50 off the lab with the coupon code LEVELUP, that's one word. Gary's actually got seven great modules in the lab, so if you like learning from him on this podcast, you know where to go to learn more. Take care, and we'll see you in Season 3.